This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. Matthew 22, we're looking this morning at verses 1 through 14. Matthew 22, beginning at verse 1. Hear the word of God. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. When the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? He was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you for this passage from your word. We pray now that you would open our hearts and minds to it. We pray that your spirit would teach us. And Father, we pray that you would show us our own hearts as we study this text together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus has entered Jerusalem for the last time. This Passion Week, he is there at the city Uh, And as we read here, he's teaching in the temple precincts. While he has been there, he has been healing the blind, the lame. He's been teaching, and he's continued to receive some of that same acclaim that he received in that triumphal entry into the city as uh, children, uh, continuing to savor the moment, cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, uh, well after the event had come. And gone. And the chief priests, the elders of the people, don't like that. They don't like that Jesus is being acclaimed in this way. They don't like that he seems to receive that acclaim. 
They don't like that he's in there healing people, and they don't like that he's in there teaching. And so, as we've seen, he has told now three parables that are a reflection of them and a reflection of Israel and its response generally to the Messiah who has come. We saw a parable about the two sons, one who said he would go out and work and didn't, and the other who said he would not but did. And this other parable, the parable of the tenants uh, who were working the vineyard and when the owner sent his servants and then his son to receive the uh, produce, the fruit of the vineyard, they, they treated the servants badly and killed them and killed others and then finally killed the son. And it's after that parable in uh, chapter 21, verse 45, that Matthew notes that the chief priests, the Pharisees, perceived that Jesus was talking about them. And you'll also notice that each of these parables involves a son. Well, we come now to this parable that Jesus told that we know is the parable of the wedding feast. Uh, it begins uh, in, in verses 1 and 2 with Jesus saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. And again, when Jesus tells these kinds of kingdom parables, He's saying that this parable gives us an, an idea of what the kingdom is like, of, of what's going on, and often, even as Jesus himself was telling it, uh, these very things are going on as we see here. In each case, there's rejection involved, and part of that rejection, at least, has to do with Jesus' very hearers and how they are responding to him. Well, the king gives a wedding feast for his son which would have been a huge event. And we read that he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. Now, if you listen carefully to that, that may seem strange. He sends his servants out to call those who were invited. Well, the typical protocol in that day would have actually been to, to have two invitations. One invitation is to let someone know that their attendance is uh, desired at a particular event and the general time of that event. Now, that apparently already has been given. There are guests who have been invited. We're at the second stage. The king sent his servants to call those who were invited, who had been invited, to come. Of course, most people in that day... Uh, had, had a, a very different sense of time than we do. They didn't own watches. Uh, they didn't have their cell phone. They could check the time. Uh, they have a clock on the wall, readily visible. Uh, and plus, the, the, the effort, the time required for preparation left the exact time somewhat uh, negotiable, somewhat unknown. And so typically, when things were ready, servants would be sent out to gather the people who were invited to say, everything's ready, the time has come, now you need to come attend the, the event, in this case, a wedding feast. And so the servants are sent out. Now, this parable, in some ways, reminds me of the parable of the sower, because this parable is about responses, about responses to the king, to his invitation to a wedding feast. How do people respond? In some ways, this is, a, is, is a, like the parable we saw before, a matter of history. In some ways, this is a retelling of Old Testament history that carries into Jesus' own day. 
But we also need to recognize this parable is more than just a historical record, though it is that in parable form of the history of Israel and even up through Jesus' day. This is a parable, as it's in God's word, that speaks to us. It has something to say to us today. It really puts before us a question. What is your response to the invitation of the king to the wedding feast? Because you see, while this is a parable, it points to something that is very real. And that is, as Jesus has said, the kingdom of heaven. There, in fact, will be a wedding feast. In Revelation 19, it describes the wedding feast of the Lamb. Who will attend that feast? Will you be there? A very real invitation is given, an invitation for us today. What is your response? Now, as we look at the passage, we see any number of responses here. And the first response that we see is that of refusal. And this is kind of a general one that sets the tone for what is to follow. It says that the king sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Now, when the king sends an invitation... You come. To decline an invitation from the king was not only impolite, not only highly offensive, but possibly treasonous as well. Could be taken as rebellion against the king. Now, again, it has this in in common with the parable that preceded, the two parables that precede, where, where the authority, whether it's the father or the king, as in our case, or the landowner, uh, is due something. He's due obedience. He's due the fruit of his vineyard. He's due the attendance of those whom he has invited. And in each case, there is an element of rebellion. The son who says, no, I won't go, later does, uh, as opposed to those who say, yes, I'll go, and then don't. Either way, there's disobedience. Uh, in the case of the vineyard, there's the refusal to give the landowner his due, to acknowledge his ownership, and to give to him what is rightfully his. And now in our case, the rebellion takes the form of a refusal to attend the wedding feast after having received an invitation. Now, if we were to put this in real earth terms, again, this would be offensive, this would be treasonous. Not only is it the king's invitation, but it's for the wedding of the king's son. This would have been a huge social occasion, and in fact, to have received an invitation would have been a tremendous honor. And that's why it's unthinkable that these people decline to come, and yet that's precisely what they do. So the first response is just refusal. No, we're not coming. Now, the other responses that we see here sort of flesh that out a little bit. Verse 4, again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything's ready. He sends other servants, and they go out, and they, they appeal, and they draw the picture. They say, look, there's, there's good food to be had. This, this is a rich feast. The table is, is groaning under the weight of all of this food. This is going to be a delightful occasion. You'll be glad you came. Uh, there are great things going on. Very good food. Everything's prepared. The oxen, the fat calves, you're going to smell the barbecue cooking here. Makes his appeal again. But again, met with 
refusal. Verse 5, we're met with the response of indifference. Look at, verses, look at verse 5. They paid no attention. Literally, they didn't care. They were totally indifferent. They went off. One goes off to his farm. Another goes off to his business. You know, you have one here as a farmer, another as a merchant. They are completely uninterested. They just go on about their lives. One goes off to work his fields. The other goes off to tend his business. But again, the invitation of the king is met with, with rank indifference. Others meet it with hostility. Uh, look at verse 6. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Again, very similar to the tenants who took the servants and then took the son and killed them. Now, here they don't kill the son, but they're certainly doing him a great dishonor, uh, causing great offense by their refusal. And in fact, here they meet the invitation of the king. These meet the invitation with hostility, seizing, killing the servants. Now, the king, understandably, verse 7, was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So for their hostility, they perhaps didn't count on the, uh, the, the fact that the king was not going to stand for that, and he meets that with, with a, a swift and severe punishment. Now, so far, what we have here in many ways is a record of Old Testament history. Again, God's people, his covenant people, and he's brought out of Egypt, and in their rebellion, he sends them uh, the servants, and in some cases indifference, in some cases hostility, to the prophets whom the Lord sent. And it may be going a little too far, but it's not difficult, I think, to read into that destruction of their city, the destruction that came on Israel in the Old Testament for their rebellion. And finally, with the fall of the north, northern kingdom, Samaria, the fall of Judah and Jerusalem, God's judgment on them for their refusal to accept his invitation, for their refusal to repent and to believe and be faithful. But then what happens is, is very interesting. He's got everything ready. He has a feast, and there will be people at this feast. And so in verse 8, he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads, the intersections, to, the, to the, all the, the places where people are, and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, we have another response, that of acceptance. The king says, fine, you know, these people that we previously invited uh, are not worthy. They've declined, they've rebelled, they're just not going to come. So servants go out and find people wherever you find them and invite them to come in. Bring them in. And people came in, and sure enough, the wedding feast was was. Full. The hall was filled with guests. Now, I would suggest to you, if you want to look at this historically, that this is a picture of what begins to happen in Jesus' ministry, but especially with the apostles, with the, with the general invitation of the gospel going out to Jew and Gentile, to whoever will listen, go out and, and bring them in, invite them to come in to the wedding feast. And that's exactly what happens. Now, a matter of history, but also a matter of what goes on in the present day, isn't it? As the gospel goes out, there are certainly those who meet it with indifference. 
with a yawn. Okay, well, whatever, and go on about their business, you know, their farm, their, their, their business, their employment, whatever it might be. There are others who meet the gospel with a great deal of hostility, um, oppose it, mock those who are Christians uh, in some cases and at some times, even physically persecute those who are um, children of the Lord, persecute Christians. And certainly in our day, the gospel goes out wherever we can get it, to the ends of the world, to the highways, the byways, the intersections, the main roads, inviting people to come in, the gospel going forward. So a historical record, but also what happens today. Now, things get kind of different at this point because we zoom in on one guest. Verse 11, the hall filled with guests. The king came in to look at the guests who were there. And while he's looking over the crowds that are there, it says in verse 11, he saw a man who had no wedding garment. Now, there's some speculation here about whether in those days the, uh, the king or the, uh, the one hosting would actually provide garments for guests. Uh, that's debatable. Some have suggested that for different reasons. Some have said, well, no, there's no real evidence for that. It certainly doesn't come up. It doesn't seem to figure here uh, prominently in the story. But the point is, as Jesus tells it here, that the man's not wearing the appropriate outfit, whatever that might be. And so he says to him, had no wedding garment, verse 12, he said to him, friend, how did you get here? How did you get in here without a wedding garment? Now, if you study Matthew's gospel, you need to know that if you're in one of Jesus' parables or you're living in that time and Jesus or the main figure in the parable addresses you as friend, that's not necessarily a good thing. Uh, because as that's used in Matthew's gospel, it, it pretty much always has some degree of irony to it. There's always something a little off. Turn over a page or so, Matthew chapter 20, verse 13, passage we looked at not too long ago, uh, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, you know, the ones who were hired at the 11th hour receiving the same payment as those who had worked the whole day. And uh, the ones who were worked the whole day complained. Because, you know, say here you've hired these people at five in the afternoon, they work till six, and you pay them the same denarius that that you pay us for a whole day's work. Well, that's what they had agreed to, a denarius for the day. And the, uh, the one who hired them says in verse 13, he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose, what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? Now, that's not dire, and yet the person has a complaint. They feel like they've been treated unjustly, and he says to him, friend. But another instance of this word is, is quite dire. And we just read it Monday, Thursday. Remember when Judas comes leading a crowd of people to the Garden of Gethsemane there to arrest Jesus with the arranged sign of a kiss. 
And as Judas approaches, Jesus says to him, Friend, do what you've come for. Well, here you have this man who's uh, inappropriately dressed. He's not wearing a wedding garment. And the king says to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the man could give no answer. He was speechless. He had nothing to say. And the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot. Cast him into the outer darkness. Now, at this point, uh, you think, well, they're just going to you know, time so he can't get back in and throw him out into the darkness of the evening. But Jesus is moving beyond parable to just prose, to just literal truth here. Cast him into the outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, which occurs several times in Matthew's gospel, every time indicating divine judgment indicating hell, indicating being under the wrath of God. And so what is it with this man? What, what is he missing here that he is so treated? What's going on? And why does Jesus end by saying, for many are called, but few are chosen? Well, if, if there are different responses, that of refusal, that of indifference, that of hostility, that of acceptance of the gospel and attending the, the wedding feast of the Lamb, this response seems to me to be that of hypocrisy. Because the man had come in, he was part of the feast, he was part of the gathering, he was in the crowd, he was in the right place. But he wasn't wearing the right garment. He was in the crowd, but not of the crowd, to take Jesus' words there and use them a little differently. He was there, but he was not part of what was going on. Now, if we want to take this and look at it in terms of response to the gospel, this would be the response of the hypocrite. This would be the person who is perhaps a member of a church, someone who was on the role of a church, someone who may participate in, in the life of the church, and yet a person who is not clothed with the righteousness of Christ that every believer must have. Now, it fits well to say the king provides the garment. It doesn't say that here, but it is true in terms of the gospel that you and I do not have the outfit we need to wear to the wedding feast of the Lamb, to be with the Lord in heaven. It is, in fact, true with God and the gospel that he provides us in Christ that garment of righteousness, that robe of righteousness that we need to be appropriately dressed, to be among those at that wedding feast, to be among those who are with the Lord in heaven. But the dire fact of this part of our text is that there will be those and are those who are numbered among believers, numbered among the members of the church, who in fact are not clothed in Christ, who in fact are not genuine, regenerate believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this serves as a great warning to us uh, to examine ourselves, to see whether our profession is real. As Peter puts it, to make our calling and election sure. Is there first, is there faith in Christ, a recognition of your own ability to be right with God and trust in Jesus as the one who alone can pay for your sin and alone who has obeyed God's law in perfection, which is what we need. And he does that for us. You see fruit of that faith in your life in terms of a new affection, a new love for Christ, a desire to please Christ, a desire to serve him, a desire to follow him? Or is Christ a matter of complete indifference to you? You're here as a matter of custom. You're here because you're afraid of what people might 
think if you weren't. You're, afraid, you're, you're here because your parents make you come. Or is there a desire to be here, a desire to worship Christ, a desire to know Him? Is there a hunger for the Word of God? Is the Bible of interest to you? Yes, I know there are passages that are difficult. Yes, I know there are passages that can be tedious. But as the Bible as a whole, as it speaks of Christ, as it tells us how we are to know Him and how we are to live in obedience to Him now that we know Him, is that of interest to you? Is that compelling to you? Is that something that affects the way you live during the week? Is the fruit there that would back up that profession of faith? You see, you and I can't see that. But the Lord does. The Lord knows your heart. The Lord sees whether you are one of His or not. Just as clearly as this king could look at this guest and say, why are you not wearing a wedding garment? You know, the scriptures speak of God's provision for us in Romans chapter 3. Could not be more plain. Where Paul says in verse 21, Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. I don't know about the king in the parable. I don't know what the tradition was in first century days or earlier, but I do know this. If you're going to stand in that company of those at the wedding feast of the Lamb, it will be because you're wearing that gift of a wedding garment given to you by the Father, won for you, woven for you by Jesus, the robe of his righteousness. And if you are not wearing that robe, the robe of Jesus' own righteousness on that day, then what the king says here is what the Lord Jesus will say to you. And those words are recorded also in Matthew 7. Very similar. Jesus says in Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Those are from Jesus' lips. So is this parable. As the king says to the servant, or to his other servants, tie this guest up, hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, an expression of the, the sadness and the agony of that judgment. And then he ends with a statement, for many are called, but few are chosen. Now, in this context, it seems to be, given the general wide-open invitation that all kinds of people hear the gospel and respond to it one way or another in these responses that we've described, refusal, indifference, hostility, receiving it, or even appearing to receive it in hypocrisy. But not everyone who hears the gospel, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is one of those elect, one of those chosen that Jesus speaks of here. How do you know? Well, again, you know by your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know by the change that comes about in your life 
indicating the sincerity, the reality of that belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the good news is even as we read this text, the invitation is offered to come, to believe in the Lord Jesus, to have a place at that glorious wedding feast. And notice that's what this is about. It's a wedding feast. It's a joyful occasion. It is a celebration. It's a happy thing that God invites us to come and to enjoy, to receive the invitation of the King to believe in the Lord Jesus, to be with Him in glory, in joy and celebration forever. Because, dear friend, unless you're wearing that wedding garment, there's nothing for you but darkness, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would all be clothed in Christ, that every one of us in this room would know you, that our hearts would love you, that we would love you and love your word and pray to you and obey you, even when no one else is around, even when no one else is watching, because our hearts for you are real. Our faith in you is genuine. Father, keep us from self-deception. Father, if we are one of those who is present and yet not clothed, let us see that while we have opportunity to receive that wedding garment that Christ offers. Father, we thank you for this parable. Thank you for the picture that it gives us of history, the picture it gives us of responses today. But Father, most of all, that it would give us an accurate picture of our own hearts and where we stand with you. Father, I pray that every one of us might be proper guests at that great wedding feast of the Lamb on that glorious day. And we pray it, Lord, for your glory and in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.